It's Monday the 7th of September 2020. My name's Alex Elliott, and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened, and why we should care. I'm joined this week by the translator, student, activist, and self-proclaimed jack-of-all-trades, Derek T. Allen. Welcome. Hello, thank you. <laughs> uh, the second time, I think, on yeah, the show. Yeah, second time. Welcome back. Thank you. Uh, this week, Althingi approved a new loan service uh, that it hopes will help lower the... Uh, sorry, that it hopes will help lower earners on the rental market to buy their own homes. Um, it also approved changes to the five-year financial framework in light of the massive changes to society brought about by COVID-19. And for the same reason, it has agreed a 15 billion kroner state guarantee for Iceland there. Talking of Iceland and COVID, uh, the rules have changed yet again this morning, uh, but this time they are being slightly relaxed as opposed to hardened as the second outbreak in the country seems to be on the way down. The unemployment crisis in Iceland is, of course, bad news, um, but particularly so for non-Icelanders living in the country, and especially women, it has been revealed. Uh, some discussion over that uh, over the weekend. Uh, there are now calls for specific extra help for that group in particular. That news comes shortly after the definition of livable minimum earnings was upped, with short notice, it should be added, um, and affects people applying for citizenship and residence permits alike. And in other news, it is plastic-free September. Uh, dozens of women received incorrect cervical cancer smear test results after a mistake in 2018. An Icelandic-led study indicates that the coronavirus immunity lasts for many months, at least four, um, after infection. And a proposed new law would reclassify the crime of stalking and punish it with fines or up to four years in prison. Where would you like to begin? Just where would you like to begin? I'm pretty versatile. Oh, no. <laughs> Put the pressure back on me. Um, well, the big news has probably been at the top of the page here. Um, I think he finished its summer term late. They, they, they had a break. They'd agreed to go on their summer break and come back for one week only and clear all of these issues to do with the coronavirus, uh, which they've done. That included the loans package. Right. It included the loan itself to Iceland there and also the five-year financial plan. That's all very dry, but also very important, I think. Yeah. Um, I just, I mean, I don't necessarily, I'm not an economist, so, you know, this is not necessarily my field, but I just... Same. Yeah. <laughs> but just from just first glance, if you will, I think it is peculiar to give a loan to Iceland there. Um, just, I mean, I understand that it's really our only option to get out of the country if you need to go, but Icendare is just, I mean, it's Icendare. It's been doing just really questionable things lately, and I'm not sure that it's necessarily the best company to be helping at the moment. I think that those loans could be going towards other companies and other people who mm. need it way more. Your opinion on that is based on the negotiations with the cabin crew, for example. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because it's true, the unions have been very upset about uh, the way that they were treated in that process. Oh, for certain. And then there is the second Icelandic airline play, which doesn't exist yet, but its owners say that it can do at short notice. Yeah. Um, you know, how realistic is that? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I've certainly never set up an airline before. No, <laughs> never have I. Um, I mean, I'm not sure that this would be the right time to do so. Um, but, I mean, I'm hopeful that they can maybe get started maybe next year if everything looks up. But, again, just even if they were to start right now, definitely wouldn't 
last for very long. Mm. Just go the way of wow. Except quicker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I do get the perspective with Iceland there, though, that it's a kind of a almost a national security issue. Um, because, sure, you can get in and out of the country with Wizz Air, Delta, EasyJet, whatever, but they're not Icelandic airlines. They don't prioritise Icelandic needs. And as an island nation, we do need uh, these air links. So I, I, I do get that point of view, don't, don't you? Right, of course. And like I said earlier, I mean, it's the not necessarily the only way I, I can take that back, but it's just, it's, I suppose, the most, like you said, it's tailored to Icelandic needs. So it's really the only airline that does that at the moment. But, I mean, again, Iceland Air is... I won't say corrupt, but I mean there is a lot of thing. There are a lot of things that need to be reviewed within it, and again, I just I think that it is odd to assist such a company at this time. Mm. Iceland, of course, not alone in doing so. No, um, of course I mean, not. Possibly a majority of governments have been helping out their their biggest airlines, right? Because uh, they do need the help if they're yeah, going to survive. Exactly. Yeah. Um. How about this mortgages thing? This is, on the face of it, a great idea. Exactly. Um, people who earn below a certain amount and haven't bought a house within five years. It's usually mentioned like first-time buyers, but it's actually not. It's defined as people who haven't bought or haven't owned a house for five years. Can get 20% of the value of the house paid for by the government as a loan, but it's interest-free and they don't pay anything back until they sell the house. So, I mean, that sounds pretty sweet. Yeah, but it's just... And I was reading some of the um, criticisms of this. And um, let me see. Just there are courses, right, for people who are on this system, essentially. And they, they would have to take more courses, I think, or... Yeah. Just as was written in that article, it said that it would be encumbering for people who are low income. And I do agree with those sentiments. Um, I, of course, I celebrate the fact that low-income earners are going to have an easier time buying homes. That's, of course, great, like you said, on the surface. But when you look into this deeper, there are a lot of holes in this that I would like to be patched up. I think um, the biggest one, or most obvious one, being that it was only for new-built properties. It, yeah, and of course those ones are way more expensive than older ones. So I just, I mean, I'm not really sure what the justification is for that. I didn't look at the original bill, so mm. I suppose I should do that afterwards to educate myself on that. But I do think that just there is, I think this was more done maybe to virtue signal to show that, hey, we care about poor people rather than something done to actually done for the benefit of low income earners. If that makes sense. It, I mean, it does certainly make sense. I think there's always going to be some level of that criticism as well, um, however it works out. Um, but it's something. Of course, and, it's something. And you could argue, I think some in the government have, have argued that if it had been for all properties, then you could create a property bubble. Right. And that it would affect prices overall and everyone would be worse off. And also by stimulating new house building which needs to be done because there's a housing shortage. Of course. Um, that that could be good as well. So, it, I don't know. We'll wait and see how it works out. Yeah. Um, no details yet on exactly 
how the process will work, other than you can start applying for them in the start of November. Okay, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, will it affect you in any way? No, <laughs> not no. really. So. <laughs> yeah, house or apartment um, purchasing is not on the horizon for me at the moment, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you mentioned the courses. So what was it? It was supposed to be up to 25 years. Right. And then they've changed it to 10. 10 with the option of extending it three times for five years each if you go on a responsible financing course. I, what does I just what does that entail? And I just I think it's really kind of up to interpretation. And I mean, in some respects, in some cases, that can be good in in law to have things open. But with something like this, I just don't understand that. I think there needs to be more. I think there needs to be better definitions as to what this would entail and why. And just, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, a a da it's da dangling a little <laughs> corn of uncertainty over the whole thing, that, which needn't be there. Exactly. And especially low-income earners, they definitely don't need more uncertainty than there already is in their lives. So, Exactly. Um, politically speaking, I think the government side is saying, well, this is a great idea. Why wouldn't you want to go on these sessions to tell you what your best options are and if you're doing the right thing for you. The opposition are saying, that sounds a bit flimsy. Um, yeah. and, and why can't you offer these without cutting people's loans short anyway? Exactly. And also, who runs them? What's the objective behind them? You know, is there any yes. shady private sector pushing of credit, essentially, behind it? And we don't know any of that yet. No. You'd hope it wouldn't be. Hopefully not. Hmm. Yeah. Um, also, you'd hope that it will have a positive impact on the, not only, well, on the construction sector, yes, but also on the people exactly. who are directly affected. And what could it mean for the rental market? Right. I mean, I hope that the rental market wouldn't just go to trash, but I mean, just who knows if things do end up becoming, I don't know, cheaper somehow, then that could, I mean, it's a double-edged sword, so... I'm hopeful, but at the same time, I am cautiously hopeful, if you will. Yeah. I wonder if the cost of rental housing is, I don't know, like, obviously it's about supply and demand right. of housing, but if the prices go down, would people then just sell the rental properties on? To keep and and the, the demand and the supply level would remain the same. Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's interesting because I don't think many landlords are in it for charitable reasons. No, absolutely not. There's a lot of predatory people in the rental market. Yeah, and a lot of substandard housing as well. But that yeah. probably a different matter. Oh, for certain. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Just before we wrap up the politics, uh, the five-year financial framework was, I think, 2018 to 2023 20, or 2022, something like that. Yeah. We're in the middle of it anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's very unusual for them to go back and change it in the middle um, for obvious reasons. But this time, also for obvious reasons, it's clear that they had to um, because the foundation of the economy has just changed so much. Exactly. Um, and now we're going to be running on debt, basically. 
um, with people on both sides of the political spectrum saying that that's not a bad thing. No. What do you think? I mean, just, it's been really trying times for everyone. And I think that just, I mean, running on debt, of course, is not ideal, but it's, you have to do what you have to do. And I mean, just especially in Icelandic politics, in situations like this, they tend to run from the thetaretas mentality, which I feel like is kind of happening. Just, you know, hey, we are in debt, but we're still going to run the country on our debts. I think it's odd, but I mean, it's, again, it has to be done. Something has to be done. This is their solution. And I mean, what can I do? I'm just going to hope that I'm not going to end up on the streets or end up deported or something. Mm. Yeah, and the more public money in the economy right now means that all of those are less likely, hopefully. Yeah, at yeah. Least. yeah. and uh, it's an international thing as well. I think every country's mounting up the debts right now. Oh, of course. And, and hoping for a brighter tomorrow. Exactly. It's just a good thing that we started from a stronger position than the last time this happened 10 exactly. years ago. Exactly. Um, yeah, oh, just kicking some wires into the table. <laughs> and I also think it's good that Iceland was, compared to most other countries, it wasn't that hardly hit by the um, pandemic. So I suppose that has helped financially in some respect. I think the opening back up this summer must have had a very positive impact. Right. Uh, and it was by no means certain that we would be able to do that. No, absolutely not. Yeah. And then... Today, oh, there we go. This is a segue point. Uh, today seems to be the first point into a second phase of opening up, fingers crossed. Um, so what's happened today? Do you, do you know? Yeah, wasn't it? It was increased to 200 people that may be together, right? Mm, doubled, yeah. Yeah, so that's great. And I also, at least in my university, I think, well, they've already had a one meter rule, but I think it's just becoming more widespread one meter rules instead of two meter rules. Yeah, which has a lot of implications for places like theatres, right? Um, which are now opening up again for the first time. That's great, uh, albeit at half capacity. Yes, but, uh, that's good. I wouldn't. Yeah, how is going to be a a one meter separated half capacity theatre uh, production like? You probably feel like you've a VIP. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've got seats all around you and yeah. I mean, you just that... have to clap twice as loud. <laughs> exactly. That would be a lot of fun. And I also think, I mean, what about the actors? I mean, I suppose that, you know, since they're working together, they're kind of sort of allowed to not be one meter apart, but they're actually specifically exempt. Okay. For the, for the time that they're rehearsing or performing, they're exempt. Oh, okay. So they don't have to just no. Yeah, <laughs> a kiss from one meter away. Exactly. No. <laughs> um, so that uh, seems to be a positive thing. Um, the reasoning behind it, of course, is that the the infection rate is going down. Exactly. Yes. At the moment, yeah, it could go back up again. Of course. Um, and Thorolvur Gudnason, the chief epidemiologist, says that a one meter rule is five times better than no rule at all. Yeah. Um, but far easier to police and, and, and keep to to maintain. Right. Which, I mean, it is. You can see it in daily life. One metre is, is much easier. It's more natural than two metres. Exactly. Especially between date between tables or, you know, it, when queuing up in a supermarket. Um, two metres feels too much. Exactly. On a human level. Right. But one metre is just kind of natural. Yeah. Um, 
what else is changing today? Anything? I know the border hasn't changed. No, um, I don't know actually. I try not to keep up with it every single day because it's depressing. But <laughs> I mean, just things are changing for the better, which is great. But I mean, it's still important that people keep their guard up to an extent. It's important to go out and live your life, of course. But you know, you still need to realize that there is a pandemic going on, and especially we are getting tourists coming in and out who have brought the disease with them. So it's important that we still. Um, respect the um, the suggestions of the authority figures, and just yeah, protect ourselves and protect everyone around us. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing with that still is and always has been washing your hands regularly, using hand sanitizer, uh, the masks when the rule cannot be cannot be uh, upheld. For example, when having your hair cut, right. I don't, dentists are included in this, but that seems strange because you have to have your mouth open. Exactly. <laughs> but I mean, the dentist themselves does not have to have their mouth open necessarily. So I guess it's just, that's an exception. <laughs> I've just got an Im image of the patient and dentist both with mouths wide open. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, they've always worn masks anyway, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, yeah, but I mean, it's just, I suppose when you're in the waiting room, for example, or if you're just talking to the dentist and you're not getting inspected, then you can have a mask on. Good point. Yep. Um, so this is going to run for the next two weeks, I think. But okay. then it can change earlier, as we know, because this one came in early uh, this time around. Exactly. So, yeah, fingers crossed that will be the case. I'm just catching up on the details of this rule change. Clearly the doubling of the limit and the halving of the distance is the headline stuff. Um, what else? Oh, yeah, that's it. Uh, gyms and swimming pools, their capacity will be back up to 75% rather than 50 Right. Uh, which is a, you know, practical thing for them. Although I've never noticed the difference in the pool anyway. Yeah, people, everyone just goes to the pool and no one cares about the distance, really. I mean, literally, worryingly so. Yeah, because, I mean, the hot tubs are just packed. People are on top of each other. And, yeah. I mean, you would think there wasn't a pandemic going on. No. But then, I mean, yeah, I went to Logadal's Lake, uh, the big one. Yeah. All of the pots there had, like, signs on them saying, two people maximum. Um, and sure, that might be on paper, that's correct. But if people were respecting that rule, most people would be standing out on the edge of the pool, shivering, waiting their turn. Exactly. Because that would be a total of, what, 50 people there maximum in the whole place. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't, there was hundreds. Yeah, there we go. Uh, luckily, it seems to be going in the right direction still. Yes. Um, and yeah, the schools are all back. Stability reigns. Uh, yeah, and may it remain that way. Yes. Shall we move on to a different topic? Sure. Where are we? Uh, which one? Um, unemployment. Oh, yeah. Unemployment and foreign women. Yes. It's clearly a big one, especially for people listening to this show hopefully not hopefully <laughs> you know what I mean um, it obviously there's always grounds to for someone to pipe up and say this is xenophobia or racism but at the same time there's also grounds to say that a higher proportion of women of non-Icelandic origin were working in the tourism industry which has been hardest affected right either way or both ways this is the group that is being affected the worst right um, and possibly having a harder time getting into new employment. 
exactly. Um, and I think maybe cultural differences could come into play because um, there are some women who just maybe after working, they chose not to work because um, there are some immigrant women coming here who prefer to be subservient to their husbands, which is their choice. Um, I mean, just, yeah, but it's unfortunate that this is affecting women the hardest. And unfortunately, I don't know that much about this. Um, but I, again, like you said, the tourism industry, this is where a lot of these women work, like in housekeeping, especially and, and things like that. So I hope that things get better somehow. Of course, things are not going to get better like that. But we need to investigate the possibilities of helping women get into the workforce of foreign origin um, and then helping them stay there mm-hmm. and then helping them with the problems that they come across in the workforce, like harassment and, you know, just other forms of sexism that affect them disproportionately. Mm. And I think that is a, a disproportionate thing um, because, yeah, women in the workforce generally do face these problems, unfortunately, to this day. Um, but perhaps women of foreign origin don't have the same as we often say on this program, level of support, no. uh, the network behind them, no. and don't always know what to do or how to do it exactly in response. And that is something that society as a whole can do to, to help. Right, just absolutely educate these women. And themselves. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. And and obviously not be bad to people that you work with is a good one too. <laughs> Clearly. Um, but yeah, knowing what resources are available and and who they're available to is very important. Right, for certain. And it's not always obvious, I think. No, not at all. And I feel that um, I worked with immigrants actually over the summer, and it's just, although I worked mostly with men, um, my co-worker, she worked mostly with women, so she kind of um, got their take on things. And just what we saw was that just a lot of the times they don't know that they need help. Um, or some of them, they don't like to receive help because they feel that, you know, they don't want to be a burden. But, you know, they're not being a burden. They're just, they're standing up for themselves. And we just, we need to help empower, especially these women mm. who are facing unemployment and just help them be active in the workforce and help them or make sure that they're being respected. And of course, that they're working and earning money if they wish to. Good choice of word there, respect. I agree. Um, when you've got a crisis of unemployment happening, it's not the easiest thing to help unemployed people back into work because no. that's what the whole crisis is. Exactly. Um, so maybe improving people's chances of finding work in different fields. Of course, yes. The same, the same or different fields yes. when the work becomes available. Um, and that could be a question of education um, and providing education and retraining to people that need it exactly want it exactly education retraining there's actually a lot of immigrants who want to start their own business who want to provide their own service so we definitely need to be able to tap into that somehow Mm -hmm. and encourage them to be entrepreneurs and then language comes into it doesn't it exactly of course i reckon i don't know 90 percent of education and retraining options here are in icelandic only Yes. I would guess. That's a figure I made up. Yeah. I mean, most are in Icelandic. They might offer some English options. But, I mean, many of these immigrants, they don't have a strong command of either. So, of course, you know, that can be an issue. But, I mean, many of them are learning. 
and many of them want to learn. It just, you know, of course it takes time. You don't learn Icelandic overnight or English even, but you know, it's just, they are, we need to recognize that they are doing their best, that they, doing the best that they can and just help them out to become even better. Yeah. Um, the, the, I forget who it was, Nicole Liamosti, the head of women, the uh, Association of Women of Foreign Origin in Iceland. Right made a very good point in, in this is people that want to work they're very active they're very um motivated exactly and they don't want to be in the position and they also want to stay in iceland for the most part yes um, and therefore it's in everyone's best interest to help them exactly yeah. and i mean they help the community in return and i mean it's not just you know everyone goes to you know Monte or you know just a bunch of these restaurants or salons or whatever but they help us in more ways than one mm. um, just we need to be able to recognize the fact that they help us see things differently and their perspective is important in society and related to that topic I know you wanted to talk about the um, the raising of the what is deemed minimum uh, level of reasonable income right. when it comes to citizenship and residence permits People were surprised when that went up. I'm, well, okay. People were not really surprised that it went up. It was just more... It was notified um, the day before by Utlingastopnen, the day before it took effect, that is. Mm. Um, and it went up by almost 20,000, which is quite a bit. Um, so, I mean, it's good, of course, for this number two raise. Um, right now, it's about 200... Like, a little bit less than 208,000 per month. But especially, for example, foreign students who work only 15 hours a week, mm. um, to get 208,000 crowns a month is not particularly feasible, especially since most of them are in low-wage jobs and they're not, you know, it's hard for them to find housing and it's just, you know, it's there's already so many financial, there's already so much financial stress around the lives of immigrants in general, regardless of their status or why they're here. But with something like that, whilst other things are not being adjusted, it's just, it's making things more difficult than need be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The the limit is set, it's um, pre-tax, right? So I, I believe so, yes. Which is something, at least. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when you say... So it applies to students as well, then, this same yeah, limit. Exactly. And just, you know, you have to apply to renew your permit every six months or a year, mm. however much Utlingasopnen decides for you. And, yeah, it's just, it's, it's especially difficult for those who, you know, are struggling with housing and struggling with finding work, especially in a time like this. And you're not allowed to work freelance, so that would be a, a great way for many of us to make money, but we can't do that. And, yes, mm. it's just many people are not going to want to hire someone knowing that they're already going to be working all but two shifts a week. So it's just everything is very difficult for this group of people, foreign students, as well as just immigrants as a whole. And I mean, I can't say much right now, but I am trying to work on this somehow. Mm. Hopefully see solutions. What does this mean practically? Like if there's a foreign exchange, whatever, university student here, who wants to work 15 hours a week, which is their maximum they're allowed to, but cannot because of the unemployment crisis, what, they get kicked out of the country or what? I mean, if they don't have enough money by the time it comes to renew their permit, then essentially, yes. <laughs> There's no real recourse for it right now. 
that I know of, at least. Um, you can't, if you're from outside of the EES, for the most part, you cannot take out loans um, because just of international um, treaties and whatnot. Mm. So that's really just, you're in between a rock and a hard place. And you most of these students don't really qualify for financial help from their home country because they're over here. And it's really just a huge mess, a huge cluster. <laughs> yeah, uh, that sounds like it. Yeah, and not entirely fair. You understand the, the reasons why they do it, because people should be able to support themselves, whatever. I understand that. But, uh, yeah, as with so many cases around um, immigration and that whole field of, 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 of public life, there's a whole human element that's missing sometimes, isn't there? Oh, um, for certain. You and can't just paint the brush and go, this is the rule. No. Because everyone's different. Exactly. And just there definitely needs to be an institution out there that helps on the human level and, you know, you talk to people who have gone through the process, who are going through the process, who can help you. Because it, especially if you talk to Utlingdingastopnen, if you send them an email, call them, talk to them in person, you'll get three different answers. So there needs to be more, there needs to be better procedures around everything. Mm-hmm. And there needs to be, it needs to be clearer who is responsible for what, because Utlingdingastopnen is not responsible for this. It's actually the Ministry of Welfare who raises this number and then Utlingastopnen enforces it and then Vinnamalastopnen has something to say about the work hours and work permits and mm. just there's a lot of cogs in the machine. Yeah, streamlining. Exactly. Lining. Exactly. Sorry. Yeah. Well, sorry to cut it short, but uh, that's it for this programme yet again. We are out of time. Uh, the Week in Iceland will be back next Monday, the 14th of September, on roof.as forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook, through the Roof app, and on your favourite podcast platform. Huge thanks today to my guest, Derek T. Allen, and also to Lydia Gretesdottir for running the studio. We finish today with a song by Jonas Sig called Birtningervith. Bye for now. <laughs>
Fjötrana, þakka lífsbókinni Lexíuna, ég brýst í gegn 